0: So I'm going to stand up here so that I'm behind the speaker, otherwise I think it'll be feedback, and I I can talk pretty loudly, but I think if we have the mic, we'll make sure that everybody back under those trees out there can hear. Uh, It is such a great joy and privilege for me to be here. This is something I've been looking forward to and praying for for a long time. Uh, Blair Robinson here at your church, uh, he's a dear brother of mine. A dear friend of mine. God has really united our hearts and ministries together, and so this is something we've been praying about for a long time. And and to actually get to be here has been such a blessing. And uh, so thank you, Blair, for having me, and thank you, Pastor Tom. I, I got to meet your pastor this afternoon, Tom. And and I'll just say this real quick. I, I've grown up around pastors my entire life. My dad's a pastor. I was a pastor. My brother's a pastor. I, I, I've known thousands of pastors. And I'll tell you, after spending the afternoon with Tom, I'm thinking about moving to Raleigh just to have him as my pastor. So y'all are very blessed to be here uh, at this church, and you and your wife and your families are blessed to have such a shepherd uh, here. I got to taste North Carolina barbecue tonight. I've never had that before. It's delicious. Uh, so thank you. to it was a big owl that made that. Uh, but what a joy to be here. And, and tonight we're going to be talking, and this weekend, uh, about God's calling on our lives as men. And we're going to be talking a lot about shepherding our, ourselves and our families and how to do that well. And, and that term shepherd, you know, that's a biblical term that we're drawing from because biblically we see that as men we, we do have this calling and this responsibility, and this privilege of serving as shepherds. And so we want to unpack that. And part of the reason why we're being this intentional to spend a weekend, and I love, by the way, that y'all have given up your Friday nights and your weekend to kind of dig into these things because you see the value in this conversation, is because we live in a culture that is constantly trying to define what a man is. We live in a culture that is constantly giving us our identity. Do you know what that looks like to have someone else tell you who you are and for it not to be a biblical message? Do you know what that's like to have someone else tell you what a man is supposed to be and it not be a biblical message? Years ago, before I got married, I had the chance to serve as a missionary through the International Mission Board, and I served with a couple years on this team in the Amazon jungle in Peru in South America, and we were trying to take the gospel to a previously unreached indigenous tribe called the Amada Now, at the time, I was in my early 20s, and I had this uh, long hair down to my shoulders. You know, those guys, like the hippies that would grow their hair out, that was me. And I had this long blonde hair down to my shoulders. I'm living there in the jungle with this tribe. And and most of them, uh, the people group we were with, most of them spoke Spanish, but they also had their own dialect called Rakambu. And so a lot of them had their Spanish name, but they had their uh, rock and boot name. And so my name is Jonathan, but in Spanish, a lot of times they'd call me Juanito, like Johnny. And, and so everybody called me Juanito, but secretly in my head, I really wanted an Iraq and boot name. You can't ask for that. But, I, you know, I, I was young, and I thought, wouldn't that be cool if I had, like, a cool jungle name? And so we, we kept sharing the gospel, traveling up and down this river, sharing the gospel. And as people would give their life to Christ, we baptize them and they start meeting as a church. We started kind of uh, walking through what it looks like to be the church of Christ. And uh, one day, after we'd been there for about six months, we're sitting in one of the villages, Chantulla, and the chief, Sergio, he looks at me, he says, Juanito, I want to give you an Arakan boot name. And I thought, this is it. I've arrived. This is what it's all about. Except, you know, the Great Commission and then this, right? And so I'm there. There's about 12 of us sitting by a fire, kind of like tonight. And he says, Your name now is Boom Teddy. I said, Boom Teddy. He said, Yes, Boom Teddy. He wrote it in the dirt so I could see how to spell it. I said, That's an awesome name. Boom Teddy. I said, What does it mean? Does it mean like anaconda? He's like, No, no, no. I said, Alligator piranha thunder surely it's like a cool powerful strong name for me he says no 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 and he pointed at my long blonde hair down to my shoulders he said boom is a caterpillar with yellow puffy hair and and everybody burst out laughing and so for the rest of those two years i was out there everybody called me boom and they're basically calling me little caterpillar uh, with yellow puffy hair for two years and that was my name But that's kind of what it's like when you go to culture and they give you your name and they give you your identity and they tell you what it is to be a man what it is to be a husband a father a grandfather and in a very secular worldly way they define you and a lot of us kind of grow up with that i believe that it would be such a blessing if even from an early age we were able to come along young boys and, and disciple them and, and pour into them this biblical word of what it means to be a man and a shepherd. Pastor said, I have three kids. I have a daughter named Gracie, who's 11. I have a son named Silas, who's nine years old. And then my youngest, Elijah, is seven. And so whenever I'm going to be gone from the house for a day or a weekend or like this weekend when I'm gone, I always tell my son Silas, he's the oldest boy in the house, I always tell him, even from a young age, even when he was four, I'd say, listen, when I'm gone, you're the man of the house. And he gets pretty excited. Now I quickly tell him, your mom's in charge, don't get me wrong, she's still in charge, but you're the man of the house. And he says, well, what does that mean? I said, for you at four years old, here's what that means. Your mom and your sister, they hate bugs. So if there's a bug, I always have to kill it. But if I'm gone, I can't do that. So you being the man of the house at this age, means that you kill all the bugs. And he said, oh, that sounds great. I love it. So he's really kind of bought into this. And uh, my wife said one time I was gone, he was about five years old, and my daughter yells from across the house, there's a spider, there's a spider. And Silas just says, I'm on it. And he picks up a shoe, he picks up a sandal, he starts headed right that way. Because from a young age, I'm trying to let them know that as boys, that they have a calling on their life. And as they grow up, they are called to be shepherds in their homes. They are called to feed and to lead, to provide and to protect. And so this weekend, we're going to come back to this biblical picture of manhood, this biblical identity of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a shepherd. And my prayer is that we will get excited about this biblical vision for that. A lot of us draw our biblical understanding of manhood from media. I want you to tell me, because we have some different generations mixed here together tonight, so y'all just shout out, what's a TV show that you grew up watching? Shout it out. What, what'd you grow up watching? Ozzie and Harry, what'd you say? Fall guy. Leave it to Beaver. Bonanza. Andy Griffith. Gunsmoke. Roy Rogers? You got some old school ones. There's these two guys a few years ago, and they did some research and they wrote a dissertation. And what they looked at, they did a very interesting study. It looked at all these TV shows you're naming and some other ones, and they did a study on American television from the 1950s to the 1990s to try to determine how men. Specifically, fathers and husbands are portrayed in media in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and how that has changed from generation to generation. And what they found is not very good for men today, because what they found is that in the 50s and 60s, you had TV shows like Father Knows Best and Andy Griffin, even going into the 80s with the Cosby show, you had Leave it to Beaver. You had these shows where the, the man of the house was the authoritative figure in the home. He provided for the family. He protected the family. When there was a problem, they went to dad, and he helped out. And then as you get into the late 80s and 90s, you get to other shows like Married with Children, Al Bundy, y'all grew up watching Al Bundy, and The Simpsons, that 70s show, Everybody Loves Raymond king of queens. And what happens is the father, the husband, is now, he's just kind of the end of the joke. He's the punchline of the joke. He's the one that makes the mess, and his wife comes in to clean it all up. He's not the one that has a character and integrity. In fact, he's the one that seems to always be going into worldly things and simple things, and everybody else has to kind of clean up his mess. They said in the 50s and 60s, that the number of times a joke would be made at the father's expense in those episodes was about one joke per episode. And by the 80s and 90s, that had increased to about five to seven jokes per episode made at the father and the husband's expense. And did you know that most American families today consume more than 40 hours of media every week? And so if this is what media is portraying, and we are consuming it at that kind of rate, you can only begin to imagine how most people in our culture view husbands, fathers, and the role of a man in the house. And so what we're going to be doing this weekend is actually very countercultural. We'll be going back to the Word of God and saying, what, what do we see in the Word is God's identity for men. What does a biblical manhood look like? What does the call for husbands, fathers, grandfathers look like in the Word of God? Not in media, not in culture, not finding our identity from the world around us, but finding our identity in Christ and in His Word. So you have some notes that Blair passed out earlier. We're going to look at five R's tonight. We're going to talk about repenting of our sin, renewing our mind, resting in the Lord, rejoicing in our calling. And we're going to talk about running the race well. Now I want you to pause for just a second and think about those five R's and just think in your heart right now, which of those do you think you need to hear the most this weekend? The Lord obviously has brought you here tonight. He's ordained all of the schedules and pieces to make sure that you are here tonight. So think for a minute, why why is that? Which of those words do you need to hear tonight? A call to repent of your sin, to renew your mind, to rest in the Lord, to rejoice in your calling, to run the race well. My prayer tonight and for this weekend is that God would begin to raise up a generation of Joshua's. One of my favorite passages in the Bible one of the most well-known passages in the Old Testament is from Joshua 24, 15. And in Joshua 24, even going back to 14, we have a man named Joshua who, who led Israel after Moses. And Joshua stands up in front of all of Israel, in front of all of God's people. And in verse 14 he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and all faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm praying for a generation of Joshua's. every man here tonight, that will stand up in front of anybody and everybody, be willing to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. I will take the lead in that. I will shepherd them well to that end. Joshua says in verse 14, Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. And I had a seminary professor years ago tell me, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should ask, what is it therefore? And what he meant is, if he's saying therefore, he's obviously connecting what he's about to say to what he had been saying. And so what had Joshua been saying the first 13 verses of Joshua 24? Well, for 13 verses, what he's been doing is he's been recounting story after story of God's faithfulness. In case we would fall into spiritual amnesia and forget what God has done, he was reminding God's people what God has done, how good he's been, how providing he's been, how faithful he's been. And he says, therefore, in response to that, in light of his faithfulness, let us serve the Lord. He says, you got to get rid of the idols. You have to serve the Lord alone. Jesus taught us thousands of years later, you cannot serve two masters. And before they can even make a decision, Joshua isn't looking for general consensus here. He's not taking a vote. He's not saying, we'll go with the majority rule here. He, he tells them, you got to choose. And before they could even speak, he says, well, let me just go and tell you what we're going to do. Even if we're the only family here that makes this choice, he says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Are you willing to stand up and be a Joshua in a generation of men who would cower from that calling? Are you willing to stand up and be a Joshua even if you're the only one and the only family on the block serving and worshiping the Lord? I am prayerful, desperately prayerful for a generation of Joshuas who would stand up and say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, the Lord alone. And so tonight... As we pursue that prayer, I want to look at these five R's with you in praying that God would raise up this generation of Joshua's. So if you look there in your notes, you'll see that the first R says that we are to repent of our sin. We are to repent of our sin. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that before we can remove the speck from our brother's eye, we have to take the log out of our own eye. And if you never thought that Jesus... Could, could have a sense of humor, I think that's kind of humorous. That would create a pretty vivid image into anybody who would hear that statement. On one hand, you have this brother who has a little speck of dust in his eye, and on the other hand, you have a guy with a tree trunk coming out of his eye, and he's worried about the guy's dust. That would be hypocritical. That would be ridiculous. That, that, it's hard to imagine that scenario, but we do that all the time. We have all this sin in our lives. Meanwhile, we're bossing our kids around, telling them to stop sinning. That's hypocritical. So if we're gonna talk tomorrow about shepherding our wives, shepherding our children and grandchildren, then tonight we have to start with the call to repentance. To repent of our own sin, to remove the log from our eye so that we can maybe remove the speck of dust in the eyes of those that we shepherd and serve. Here's another way of saying this, guys. Listen, we can't give our families what we don't have. I was flying here just uh, yesterday from Texas, and I'm on the airplane, and the flight attendant comes out like they always do, and they tell you where the exit rows are, which is terrifying that I might need to exit while we're in the air. Then they tell you how to buckle a seatbelt, which is kind of embarrassing if you don't know how to do that yet. And then they tell you about the oxygen mask, Which is also terrifying to think that there might be a point in this flight where I need oxygen that I don't have. i got to put this mask on. And and when they talk about the oxygen mask, they always tell you that if you have a child with you, before you put the mask on the child, you put it on yourself first. Because the point is that if you're not breathing in good oxygen and you're trying to help your son or your daughter, at some point you might pass out before you can get the mask on to them. So first, put the mask on yourself, make sure you're breathing well, and then you can help them. And I think the same principle applies this weekend. Before we can shepherd our wives or or shepherd our children, before we can disciple them, before we can wash them with the Word of God, we have to make sure that we are breathing in that Word of God ourselves, that we are living it, that we are going to Christ and bringing Him our sin. And, And listen, when we say we need to repent of our sin, let's make it clear tonight that there is a big difference between confession and repentance. I think my generation and the generation after me is very good at confession. We were talking about this today in the pastor's office. They can be very transparent with their sin. They'll tell you their sin all day, every day. I have guys younger than me in my church. They'll call and text me, and they'll tell me the most embarrassing sins you can imagine. Unprompted, they confess their sins. And a week later, when I ask them about it, they've done it again. And a week later, they confess it again. And a month later, they confess it again. And they've got very good at confessing sin and very bad at repenting of their sin. And here's a way to picture the difference. The word confess means to agree. When we confess our sin to the Lord, we are agreeing with Him that it is sin and that we have sinned. But the word repent means to turn to turn away from that sense. So imagine if I'm driving in the car and my wife Jess is up front next to me and she's got the GPS map out on her phone and as I'm driving at some point she says, hey, Jonathan, I'm looking at the map, I'm looking at the street and it looks like we're going the wrong way. And I look at the phone and I say, you know what, you're right. I confess I am going the wrong way. I agree with you, we are going the wrong way. And I give her the phone back and I just keep driving. And after about five minutes, she's looking at me, looking at the road, looking at the phone, looking at the map. And she says, hey, baby, you know, I don't want to bother you about this. But listen, I'm looking at the map, and it looks like we're still going the exact opposite way. And I look at the map, and I look at the road, I look at her, and I say, you are right. I agree with you. I confess I am going the wrong way. And I give her the phone, and I just keep driving. That's what confession without repentance looks like. Repentance is when I exit, slam on the brakes, make the U-turn, and start going the correct way. And if we're going to be the kind of men that God has called us to be, and if we're going to shepherd our wives and our children and our grandchildren, then I think it starts with our own hearts, doesn't it? And we can't just confess the sin. We need to repent of it. We need to turn from it. We can't do it in and of our own strength or in and of our own power. Don't we know that we have the power of the Holy Spirit? We can truly repent of this sin. And I've been in ministry long enough to know that when you get this many men together, there are some men here, I would imagine, that are struggling with sin, that have secret sin in their lives, that are kept awake at night out of fear that one day that sin will be exposed, that sin will be made known, I'm telling you men, listen, there is such great grace and freedom that comes when we truly just confess that sin and turn away from it. And it might be that for some of you tonight, the reason God has you here is to repent of that sin. To go to another brother in Christ, to go to one of your pastors or elders here at the church and not just confess it but say, would you walk with me as I turn away from this? Would you walk with me through this journey of truly repenting of this sin? I want to be free from it. I want to experience the sweet grace of Jesus Christ. John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Would you love to experience that forgiveness, that cleansing? And then with with, with a cleansed heart, forgiven, covered in grace, to be able to step into the front doors of your home and shepherd and lead your family well? And so as we talked about this weekend and prayed for it, I I believe the Lord was leading me to start by calling us to repentance. And then after that, as we're repenting of our sin, I think part of that is also getting this transformation from the Lord Jesus Christ. When we repent of our sin, we, we go to the Lord we ask Him to cover us in grace, to forgive us, but we also pray that He would renew us and transform us. Because again, we're talking this weekend about something that's very countercultural, and so the Lord started laying on my heart this passage from Romans chapter 12. We got a guy that's late getting here. He's trying to get here. He is speeding here for the barbecue. He'll make it. So as we look at that second word of of renewal and what does it mean to renew our mind, I want to read to you from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Or let's just look at verse 2 there. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's these two kind of, options there in Romans 12, 2. We're either going to conform to the pattern of the world, we're either going to become worldly men defined by the world, our identity wrapped up in the world, or we'll be transformed. The only other time they use this word in the New Testament is to talk about the transfiguration of Jesus himself. So this is not just a slight change or a little change. This is a radical transformation that would take place by the renewal of our mind. And a lot of times I think we forget what is going on in our mind. I just read an interview with the actor Will Smith recently. And Will Smith was talking about his Christian upbringing, but not in a good way. And he's talking about how now later in his life, as he got into his 50s, he's now found out that the thoughts he has are not in and of themselves sinful or bad, and he can think whatever he wants and then even act on it without judgment. And it broke my heart to read that because I know so many men are reading that and nodding their head in agreement. But biblically, we understand very clearly that what goes on in our mind affects all of our lives, doesn't it? That's where a lot of the seeds of our sin begin as those little thoughts. That's why Paul talks about taking those thoughts captive. That's why Paul talks about bringing our anxious thoughts to the Lord so that he can guard our hearts and our mind. That's why the greatest commandment in the Bible says, so to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It matters what's going on up here, guys. And, and, and I fear that as men today in 2021 We are feeding our mind with the wrong things. I read one research survey that says that the average American man today looks at his phone more than 110 times a day. That equates itself, they said, to about three hours and 15 minutes a day. Now, I'm not going to say that everything we ever look at on our phone is bad. I know some of us use it for maybe a Bible app or Desiring God or Gospel Coalition. I understand that. But the point of it is, if we're consuming media and apps and social media and binge-watching things three hours and 15 minutes a day, and a lot of it is worldly, then we have to stop at some point and say, what am I feeding my mind with? And am I in a point this weekend where I need to pray that the Lord would renew my mind? And that might be what brings me that transformation that I've been praying for. If you were to go to your doctor and confess that every single day you binge eat junk food, he would probably say, you need a new diet. And so listen, gentlemen, as Christian men, If we are binge-feeding our mind with worldly media and worldly content, I believe that spiritually we need a new diet. We need to feed our mind with the Word of God. We need to go to Him and pray that He would transform us by the renewal of our mind. So I want to pause here for a second and just ask you to look at those two first things we focused on, repent of your sin, renew your mind, and just have a heart check right now. Is one of these the reason the Lord has me here tonight? Is there sin that I need to truly repent of? Does this need to be the night that I go to the Lord and ask for him to transform me by the renewal of my mind? And if that's the case, don't let that slip by. As I move on to the third R and the fourth R, don't let that slip by. Understand that you must respond to that. That means at some point, even tonight, you go to a brother in Christ, you go to an elder, you go to one of your pastors, and you say, here's what I'm dealing with. Shepherd me so I can shepherd my own heart and shepherd my family. Let's deal with this stuff tonight, right here by the fire. I think the, to have a regular discipline of repentance and renewal in our lives, we have to have regular times with the Lord. And listen, I, I, I don't know most of you men, but I, but I do know men in our culture, and I know that men are, are struggling right now. I know that men are busy. I sit with men who are depressed. I sit with men who are anxious. I sit with men who can't go to sleep at night. Because of things going on in their lives, I, I sit with men who are kept up at night trying to figure out how they're going to pay the bills. I know that men have burdens and struggles. And, and most men I sit with, they keep all that to themselves. And so I want to encourage you tonight that maybe the reason God has brought you here this evening is so that you would have a re- renewed passion to simply do this. Rest and the Lord. Have you been resting in the Lord? Because I'm telling you, those storms, those burdens, they're going to keep coming. You're never going to get to a season where it's not busy at all. It's not stressful at all. Whatever that thing is that you think you're waiting for, and once the promotion happens, once the raise happens, once retirement comes, once my kids are grown, once they're potty trained, then we'll, we'll have a ride. It doesn't ever come. The storms of life keep coming. The burdens keep coming. What needs to be constant in that is our passion to rest in the Lord. I want you to picture a little child, you know, maybe one of my sons who's in bed, my seven-year-old Elijah at night, and he starts screaming and crying in the middle of the night that he's scared because it's too dark. And so let's say I walk in his room, and I say, what's wrong, buddy? And he says, I'm scared. It's too dark in here. And I say, would you like me to lay with you for a little bit? He says, yes, come lay with me. He scoots over and I lay down next to him. And as I'm laying next to him, he's not scared anymore. He closes his eyes and peacefully falls asleep. Here's the thing, guys. I didn't turn the light on. It's still dark. The darkness is still there. The only thing that changed is now his father is with him. And listen, guys, we're going to continue to walk through storms and busyness and burdens, and those things will keep coming. That might not change. What can change is we can have the presence of the Father all day, every day. We can have a renewed season of resting in Him. Even Jesus would make time to rest with the Father. There's a verse in Psalm 131 that has become one of my prayers for myself, for other men that I walk with. In Psalm 131 too, the psalmist writes, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother. You see the difference between a breastfeeding child and a weaned child is a breastfeeding child, when he's with his mom, he knows she could be feeding me right now. And so he squirms and moves and cries until she's feeding him. But a weaned child can be with his mother and not need anything from her. But in that moment, just sit with her and enjoy that time, that presence, that fellowship. And so in Psalm 131, there's this prayer that we as men would be like that with God the Father. That we'd be able to have this calmed and quieted soul with the God who created us. To sit with him, not to need anything or just when we want to ask something from him, but just to sit with him and be in his presence and to rest in the Lord. Do you tonight, are you in a place where you're able to say, I have a calmed and quieted soul? Or would you say that I'm restless? What is it that makes us restless? Tim Keller says that when we are self-seeking, That's what creates great restlessness and discontentment. When there's all these things that we're wanting and chasing of of the world, we're never restful, we're always restless, we're never content, we're discontent. But when we're content in the place in life that the Lord has us, with the family that He has us, the job that He has us, we're able to go to Him and and just rest in Him. What does St. Augustine write famously? Our souls are restless until they find rest in thee. I'm wondering that as we talk about how to shepherd your own heart, I believe some of you, for y'all to do that well, this needs to just be a night of repentance. Some of us, to do that well, this needs to be a night where we are transformed by the renewal of our mind instead of conforming to the pattern of this world. But I think some of us tonight, for us to begin to shepherd our own heart well, we need to just rest in him. And listen, guys. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about shepherding our wives and our children. And with that, we're going to be talking about discipling them, praying over them. We'll talk a little bit about family worship. But listen, we're never going to be faithful in those callings unless we ourselves are spending time with the Lord. My dad, you know, I'm I'm so thankful for my father. He's a humble, godly man. I praise God for him. He's not perfect. But God has used him in mighty ways in my life. And one of the ways is to give me an example of what it looks like to consistently, faithfully rest in the Lord. I have thousands of memories, even now, of being a little kid. And if I ever woke up early enough, it didn't happen often, but if I ever woke up early enough and I started walking down the stairs, that even from the top of the stairs, there's something I could see. I could smell my dad's cup of coffee. And I could see my dad right there in the living room, right there at the bottom of the stairs, in front of this blue armchair from the 70s. He had his Bible out, he had his coffee out, and he had his face buried in the cushion of that chair, reading scripture, praying for his family, praying for us. I wonder if our families are going to see us like that. Do they see us as men who make time to rest in the Lord, or they see us as men who are too busy for all of that. Do our kids ever see us in prayer? Do they ever see us in the Word? Do we ever share with our wives what we've been reading about in the Word and how it's been challenging us? God is all about rest, by the way. God modeled rest for us when he created everything resting on the seventh day. God blessed us with the gift of rest in the Sabbath. And Jesus made it clear that was for you. You weren't created for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for you. Jesus tells us, all of you men who are heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. We have this great example, this great invitation. And oftentimes what do we do? We fill our calendars and our schedules with no margin, and then we cry out, I have no time for that. And I'm telling you guys, we are desperate for time with the Father. If you're feeling restless and burdened, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, depressed, unsettled, discontent, unhappy. If that's you tonight, let me tell you, the only thing that's going to bring any kind of change to any of that is time with the Lord. I don't believe any of that will change until you start resting in Christ. And I've seen it in my life. I've seen seasons where I wasn't doing this and how it affected my heart and my soul. And I've seen the blessing that comes when I return to Him and start resting in Him again. This is testimony that I can tell you. The Lord will bless that time, guys. Has the Lord brought you here tonight to call you back to a season of just resting in Him, what change would you have to make in your schedule to be faithful and consistent in resting in Him? It's worth it. And I'll say this, too, about the time thing real quick. Guys, come on. Anytime we think we don't have time to rest in the Lord, I just... If you've seen every Carolina Panthers game, if you've seen, you know, where I come from, the Cowboys games, if you can see every Avenger movie, including the four-hour in-game movie, I mean, if we could stay up to date with sports and movies and media, we can make time for this, guys. We can make time for this. There's a call to rest in the Lord, so ask yourself, Lord, you know, pray this evening, Lord, did you bring me here tonight? To call me to repentance? Did you bring me here tonight because you want to transform me by the renewal of my mind? Did you bring me here tonight to usher me into one of the sweetest seasons of resting in you that I've ever had? Oh, what a blessing that would be, guys. Can you imagine an entire church of men that are constantly resting in the Lord? Can you imagine how that would bless your family? I want to also encourage you tonight to kind of prepare your heart for tomorrow. If you look in your notes, that next R says to rejoice in your calling. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight. I just want to put this on your heart, put this on your radar this evening. Because listen, tomorrow we're going to look at Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 5, it talks about, it calls us men, it commands us as husbands to love our wives as Christ loves the church. It calls us to this sacrificial, servant-hearted, unconditional love to gospel reenactment in our marriage. And I'm telling you, that's a high calling for husbands. We're gonna to look tomorrow at Ephesians 6 where, where fathers are called to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord to disciple their kids and not just hope that somebody else will come alongside and do that. And so I just want to prepare your heart a little bit tonight for tomorrow because I don't believe that those callings need to be overwhelming or burdensome. I believe there can be great joy in those callings. So I want to go ahead and ask you to start preparing your hearts tonight by praying, Lord, lead me to be a man who rejoices in my calling, that I don't look at, Loving my wife sacrificially as a burden, but as a blessing. I don't look at the call to disciple my children and grandchildren as burdensome, but instead I rejoice in that privilege and in that calling. Do you delight in the calling that God has for you as husbands and fathers and grandfathers? We're going to go deep into that tomorrow, into that calling. As we talk about shepherding your wives and shepherding your children and grandchildren, But if we're going to shepherd our own heart, let's prepare our heart for that. Let's pray even now and say, Lord, let me be the kind of man that rejoices in that calling. And then finally, if you look at your last R there, I believe there's a call to run the race well. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to one final scripture tonight in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm used to just kind of preaching through books of the Bible, so to kind of survey lots of different passages is a little different for me. But hopefully what it illustrates to you is from Genesis to Revelation, God is very clear on what he's calling us as men to be and to do. But look at Hebrews 12. Look at those first couple of verses. The author of Hebrews, he writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so close, closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and had seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that would entangle us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, you don't call someone to run with endurance unless you know the race is going to be tough, maybe, to endure. My wife, Jess, is an athlete. She's been an athlete her whole life. She's this all-star athlete. I was telling Blair the other day, it kind of puts me in a tough position because now if my kids are good at sports, she gets all the credit. And they're terrible at sports i get all the blame they'll be like oh you took after your dad you know but my wife she was a hoosier she was a basketball player played her whole life growing up um, indiana and then texas and so you know we go to chuck e cheese with the kids and they have the little basketball shootout thing you know and my kids they, they just stand by her waiting for her tickets because they know that she's going to be the one winning them tickets. But she, because she's athletic, she's always challenging me to work out with her. And so years ago, she said, hey, let's start doing races together. And I said, okay, that sounds fun. And, And so we started doing these races, and just about every year we try to do them. We'll do 5Ks, 10Ks. We mainly do half marathons. One time I did a full marathon with her, and I was like, that was miserable. Never doing that again. Uh, but we'll do these races, and I'm telling you, when you're running these races, every racer there's at some point, no matter how much I've trained for it, at some point there comes a time where my muscles are aching, I'm sweating, I'm hot, I'm sore, I'm thirsty, and at some point you're like, why did I pay 80 bucks for this? This is ridiculous. And you're running the race, and there's a million reasons to just quit running the race, But I'm telling you, looking at Hebrews, there's this call to continue to endure and to run the race well. My prayer is that the men here tonight will one day be where Paul was at the end of his life and ministry, where he could say, I have finished the race. I have fulfilled the ministry that God has for me. And I know that some of you men right now, you might be coming here tonight kind of discouraged. Maybe right now the race that God has called you to. Shepherding your wife, shepherding your children, leading your family, feeding them, providing for them, protecting them, leading them. Maybe that has become hard. And maybe even some of you here tonight have been thinking about quitting the race. Maybe even just bowing out a little bit. Let my wife take over the lead. Let her take it from here. Kids are coming to you, asking questions, and you've gotten used to saying, ask your mother, ask your mother, ask your mother. But I believe one of my prayers for us this weekend, I believe what God is calling us to is to run the race well, to get rid of the sin that would entangle us, the weight that would slow us down, those worldly desires that would pull at us, the things of the flesh that would lead us to quit and instead to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and to finish this race, guys. Listen, not one of us has been promised tomorrow And it seems like the older I get, the more confronted I am with the truth that we don't have thousands of years here on this earth. We only have a few years. We don't know how many that is. It could end tomorrow, and we need to be faithful and good stewards with the time that God has given us. We don't know how long the race will last. Let us run it well. Let us run with endurance. Can you imagine a church with a group of men this size, where every single man here? is repenting of their sin, where every man here has been transformed by the renewal of their mind, where every man here is consistently and faithfully resting in the Lord, where every man here understands his calling to shepherd his home, and he rejoices in that calling and delights in that calling, where every man here is running the race well, with their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Can you even just imagine? You know what we would call that, by the way? Show me a church where those men are doing that, and we will call that revival. We will call that the next great awakening that started right there at Christ's Covenant Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And God is able. Men, he's brought you here tonight, and I believe he is moving within our hearts to be these men that he's called us to be, all for his glory. You know, whenever we run those races, there's usually a time that you're wanting to keep. You know, you train and... Maybe you're, when you're training, you try to do a nine minute mile or nine and a half minute mile or whatever it is. And so you get to the race and you have that intention to keep that pace. Nowadays, they got all these different chips and GPS so you can kind of put headphones on and it tells you your pace. But years ago, before they had all that, what they had, we'd show up at these races with thousands of people and they had these pace setters. And so you'd have a guy or girl there and they're in their running gear and they'd have a sign up. And it's a eight minute mile, a nine minute mile, 9.5, 9.45, 10-minute mile, and they're saying, if you run by me, this is the pace we'll keep. You don't have to worry about it. Just stay next to me. You'll keep that pace. And so my wife and I, we'd show up at these races. We'd find our pace setter that has the time that we want to run in. We'd get right next to them, and i put on music, and I don't have to worry about my pace. i just run right behind this guy, and I know that that's the pace I'm wanting to keep. When I think about men running the race well, I think about God raising up a generation of pace setters. Men who can run the race well and set the pace and set the tone for the rest of us. Men who are setting the pace for their wives and their children where their their family can say, you know what? If I just stay next to my husband, if I just stay next to dad, if I run next to my grandfather, I'm going to run the race well. Let me follow him. Let me follow his example. Let me do not just what he says. Let me do what he does. And I too will run the race well. I'm praying that as God raises up a generation of Joshua's, He will raise up a generation of pace setters, starting right here with these men tonight. What would you have to lose and throw off of you in order to run the race well? What is it that's entangling you? What is it that's weighing you down, slowing you down? What is it you need to get rid of in order to become that pace setter for your family? You know, there's this biblical principle we see throughout the New Testament that as we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, that everything that Jesus pours into us, we're supposed to pour into others. We're supposed to love the way he loves us. We're supposed to forgive the way he forgave us. We're supposed to serve the way that he served us. He comforts us in affliction so that we can comfort others when they're afflicted with the same comfort that we receive when we are afflicted. And so the the image I have in my head on this is this idea of these cups here. And you have all that the Lord has to pour into us. You know, the Bible says that we are all sinners, that our sin separates us from God. But that even in our sin, God loves us. And God demonstrates his love by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we would repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus, he would save us, he would forgive us, he would make peace between us and God. We'd be adopted into his family, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he pours all of these blessings into us, all those Ephesians 1 blessings of being known and adopted and forgiven and made peace with God and adopted into his family and sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteed eternal life. And he pours all that into us. And then throughout the rest of the New Testament, we have this call to take all that he has poured into us and to pour it into others. He loves us, so we love him. He forgives us, we forgive others. He serves us, we serve them. And listen, tomorrow we're going to be talking a lot about what we as husbands and fathers and grandfathers have been called to pour into our families. But we can't give them what we don't have. We can't be pace setters if we're not running the race well. We can't call them to repentance if we have a log sticking out of our eye. We can't allow them to enjoy the rest of God if we ourselves are too busy to open up the Word of God. We can't tell them about the blessings of renewal of our mind if all we're doing is binging on the things of the world. And we can't tell them it's a blessing to lead them, that we rejoice in our calling if, in fact, we're not even doing that. So tomorrow we'll talk a lot about pouring into our wife and our children. My prayer is that tonight will be a night where you sit alone with the Lord and allow Him to pour into you. So I want to close this tonight with a word of prayer. But as I'm praying tonight to close this out, I want to challenge you to something. If God has made it clear to you tonight what, why He brought you here, if one of these R's has landed on your heart in such a way you know it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, You know that for you, tonight is supposed to be different. For you, tonight is about repentance, renewal, rejoicing, resting, or running. Then the second I end my prayer, don't just sit around and hang out more. If God has made that clear to you, here's what I would challenge you. And guys, if we're going to have a generation of Joshuas and Paysetters, we've got to be willing to move. The second I say amen, I want to challenge you to move. I want you to go find another brother. I want you to go to find one of your elders, pastors, and I want you to tell them, here's why I came tonight. Here's what the Lord's laid on my heart. Would you pray with me? And let's allow the Lord, before we go home tonight, let's allow the Lord to pour some things into us so that tomorrow we can be excited about pouring those things into our family. So let me pray for us. Father, you are so good and faithful, and I praise you, God, that even while we are sinners, you loved us. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that he rose again that we don't have to fear sin or death or hell, but in you we can find all that we need, Lord Jesus. God, you have blessed us. the eternal blessings you have poured into us, God. And Lord, I pray that tonight we would allow you to work in our hearts and our lives, that we would not leave here tonight unchanged, but instead tonight, Lord, we would respond to your word. We'd respond to you. That you would pour into these men tonight so that tomorrow, Lord, in a new way, we can continue or begin to pour into our families. I pray for these men, Lord. I pray that you would raise up a generation of Joshua's who say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray that you'll raise up pace setters that run the race so well that those around them can just say, let's stay next to him. And we too will be chasing Christ, our eyes fixed on Jesus. Move among us, Lord Jesus. Move among these men tonight. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, we'll be back tomorrow, but if God's moving tonight, don't leave here without responding. Blair?